One of the reasons that AI has been able to move that quickly um, in the tech space and in the image space is because there's so much training data out there on the internet. Yeah. Uh, the blog posts, all the news articles, uh, images that people have supplied. Um, it means that you can feed all that data um, to your algorithm and and and, and train it to um, recognize different objects and recognize patterns in text. Um, with robotics, um, we don't have robots out there. Um, even though we don't even have, you know, robots that are teleoperated out there to do tasks with people in their everyday lives right now. So we don't have that training data. How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast where the ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Today we bring you the youngest ever member of the Order of Australia, a global leader in robotics and technology that saves lives, author of recently released Smart Girl books and the founder of RoboGirls. As a Forbes World's Top 50 Woman in Tech in 2018 and a Forbes 30 Under 30 awardee in 2016, she holds a Bachelor of Engineering Mechatronics and Bachelor of Computer Science from the University of Melbourne. She is the mastermind behind Orbot, which makes telepresence robot teleport for kids with cancer in hospital to attend school, people with a disability to attend work, and monitor and socialize with elderly people. She has co-founded AI Ploy, which follows the blind to recognize everyday objects, which has been downloaded over half a million times and translated into 23 languages. I'm excited to bring you a young Australian year, a talented leader who has led teams of 4,000 people across 13 countries and a remarkable human um, who is making STEM fun for over 100,000 young girls Marita Cheng. Marita, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Craig. I'm excited about being here. Beautiful. So you're currently there in the USA, but I'm curious, where did you grow up and what was the big dream when you were running around the playgrounds? Yeah, I grew up in Cairns in far north Queensland. Um, I was there from when I was born until I was 18. Um, I read a lot of books and so my imagination ran wild and... I guess when I was like 12, I became really interested in robotics and, um, and well, basically I think I discovered Google and I thought that was so cool that you could like type in anything and get all these results and it made me feel connected with the world. And I thought it's so clever. Why can't we put these kinds of brains in robots and have mechanical systems in our everyday lives that help us? And I was fascinated with robots from then on. Ah, uh, wonderful. You, you growing up in Cairns, obviously a, a beautiful place where the outdoors and you got the Great Barrier Reef on your back doorstep. Um, your, you come from quite humble beginnings though. Your mum uh, raised you as a single parent, if I understand correctly. And, you know, you had a, a relatively simple life, but here you were exploring what was possible in the world. How big of an influence has your mum been on you know, the success you've had? Yeah, um, you're right. We I came from very humble beginnings. My mum was a, a hotel room attendant, so she cleaned rooms um, all week and on the weekends as well. Um, and, yeah, so she'd, like, travel around to, to different hotels. Um, so I just saw that she worked really hard and she 
Um, yeah, she worked really hard to like put food, food on the table for my brother and I. Uh, she worked hard so that we could participate in other extracurricular activities. Um, she really like invested in my brother and I learning different things and having like different experiences, as many as we could growing up in Cairns. And so I think that made me very curious about the world. Um, she said, she'd say, oh, I can't teach you everything, um, but I still want you to learn. And so I'm going to pay someone else like to teach you how to draw or someone else how to sing or um, how to like play piano. Um, and um, yes, yeah, so I'm really grateful for all these opportunities that she provided for me. Um, I think, I think, yeah, the other thing that she used to say is like learn learn how to sing or learn how to draw, but you don't have to be the best in the world at those things. You don't have to be the best in the world at playing the piano. I just want you to be exposed to lots of different fields and lots of different things and whatever you do in the future, I want you to bring all these experiences that you've had into whatever you do. And I I think that was quite cool that she wanted to, yeah, just give me all this exposure to different like people and topics and um, how different how people think in different industries um and when I talk to people about creativity now they say oh if you want to be really creative you should just spend a lot of time with your eyes open looking around and looking at how things work and thinking about how things work and learning about one industry and applying it to another or learning about one idea and applying it to um to whatever you're working on something else and so yeah the more you keep your eyes open the more you're learning from all the from everything that the world is giving you um you know the more you can bring interesting ideas to your projects yeah i love that that exposure um to many different things and you know i suppose the the real the genius of being successful in life is bringing the intersection of your different life experiences and and what you've learned from those and how you can apply them across different areas so i love that approach it's such a beautiful um you know guidance that your mum gave you and um very wise lady a very wise lady now were you more of a leader or follower during your kind of teenage years i think when i was a teenager i i wanted to be a leader but um like i really wanted it um but i wasn't no one saw me as a leader so i remember like in year seven when you put yourself up for like student council or whatever like school captain like I put myself up for that and I wasn't selected for school captain or like sports captain or like even in the student representative council like the SRC um and and then you know I went I went through high school and again I put myself up to be in like to be school captain and to be um in the SRC and like I wasn't selected for any of that um and I think like in high school and in primary school, like I tried to lead people, but I don't think I did a very good job. And I think I mostly like micromanaged people or like did their job for them or like yeah, things would just be like uncoordinated and no one would listen to me. So um, I wasn't a very successful leader in my teenage years. I was, I, I tried. Yeah. It's it's a good lesson for you, you know. I think sometimes when you're someone who's very productive and looking at what you've achieved so far in your very short career, uh, you know, you're obviously someone who can action things really, really fast, and you're able to get things moving quickly. And so sometimes we can be when other people may not, or when other people may be lagging behind in the speed and things like that. You know, you go, "Well, look, I can do it." So you just get it done, or you're like, "Hey, this is how you do it," and everyone's like, "Well." Hang on, I haven't quite figured this out yet. So great lessons. How have you been able to take those learnings and apply them in you know the companies that you have set up and the other areas you've worked in to ensure that everyone feels like they have ownership and they can play their part in the bigger picture? Well, I think when I went to university, when I moved down to Melbourne, I... I wanted to be a leader again and I I was really curious about what that looked like and what that would entail. And I uh, so I started River Gals, my nonprofit organization, and I thought I really wanna use this as an opportunity to learn my to learn leadership skills. And I 
I learned a lot. And I think um I think it's it's kind of a thing where you just I think for me I like put myself out there and I was like, hey, I want to make this happen. And other people said, okay, yeah, let's make this happen. And then I was, you know, trying to coordinate people, trying to inspire people to join the project, trying to inspire people to to do their role so that we could make it all happen. And then somewhere in in those first few years, like eventually after a couple of years, someone was like, oh yeah, you're a leader, you're a great leader. Um, and but you know, it doesn't happen overnight. I think I. It's it's gradual. You have to learn the skills, um, but I think the skills that I learned over that time were um, to listen and to really try and understand like where people were coming from and what they needed, um, what they needed to feel heard, what they needed to feel appreciated, what they needed in order to do their task, um, and then yeah, working with them to provide them with what they needed so they could do their task. Um, I think, yeah, and I think, like, yeah, having compassion and, um, like, wanting wanting the best for the people in your team. Um, um, I I think, like, yeah, seeing that, like, our goal was so big, I couldn't achieve it by myself. I needed everyone to be a part of it. And then getting everyone excited about the goal that we were achieving so that everyone wanted to work together to achieve it. I, I love that. I love that. Um, the ability to kind of be curious around, okay, how can I change? What do I need to be able to lead? And from my experience, those who can figure out how to, like the, the true leaders know, can figure out their leadership through leading volunteers. That's when you really get to understand leadership. You know, those that you, you're paying, it's a different way of leading, but being able to harness the energy of people who are volunteering their time, could be doing off many other things who could be uh, easily kind of led towards earning money that's where true leadership really kicks in and so so that's it's a great grounding for you know being able to lead people in kind of a corporate world yeah I, I, I mean again I don't think it was overnight it wasn't like you know I was you know I couldn't lead people in high school and then overnight oh I could do it in Melbourne it, it was it was very gradual. I guess it was like, um, you know, this the school of hard knocks or whatever. <laughs> like getting punched in the face many, many times, or having a lot of people, having a lot of volunteers like quit, or a lot of volunteers say, "Hey, I think this is," or having some volunteers say, "You know, this is disorganized. I, I can't, I can't be part of this." So just and just like being with that and listening to all their concerns and listening to what they needed, and then making those changes so that they could see that I wanted to improve myself in the organization. Um, yeah, like I said, it, it's like you look back and then, you, I, yeah, it's just, it, it reminds me of like lots of stories that I read where, um, um, like for example, uh, it was like Derek Sivers, how, uh, people are like, you can't sing, you can't sing. And he, he just keeps singing anyway, because he really likes it and he, he's into music. And then 10 years later, everyone's like, oh, you have such a beautiful voice. Like, like, oh, you're, you're so talented you're so gifted and he's like what no I wasn't good 10 years ago and it was a lot of hard work and a lot of just putting myself out there and just doing it repeatedly and now people say that I'm good but I'm just doing it because I love it yeah great there's hope for my singing then uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe at my uh, daughter's uh, 10 year or, or kind of end of primary school I can sing for her <laughs> Robo Girls, you know, we've talked about, we just mentioned in the introduction, you've talked about a little bit there. Um, explain to people what that is, you know, because it was oh. one of your really, your first big passions that has, you know, achieved some extraordinary results. I think it's over 120,000 girls have been through the program now. So do you want to explain a little bit about what it sure. is? Sure. Actually, I just want to quickly address the previous question again to add to it. Um, how you said, like, you know, leading a group of volunteers, that's where, like, you really learn your stuff. I Yeah, I have to say, I think it's really rewarding to lead volunteers because they're not doing it for the money. They're doing it for their passion. They're doing it for their belief in the goal. They're doing it yeah. for, like, wanting to de develop themselves. They're want doing it to be part of a community. And and I think it's just so rewarding to, like, bring out all of those qualities in people and 
having that energy that they bring to a project where they just want to do their best. They want the project to succeed. And so it, it's just really lovely to be around people who who do put themselves up for that. And yeah. Yeah. Is that like, you know, when we look at leaders of corporate and um, companies, et cetera, what, like listening to that, what can they learn about drawing out of people that their purpose and their passion? Because we know a lot of people aren't, you know, they're kind of disconnected from their work in a way. So how can we take those learnings from volunteer, not-for-profit type situations where you really have to focus on that passion and purpose? How can we pull that into a corporate setting? Um, I think it's like, listening and talking to the person and finding out what they want to learn and what they want from the experience. So, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I, I, I want to learn this skill or I want to, you know, develop my communication skills. I want to develop my, my technical skills. I want to be part of a organization that is global. Or I want to do something big in Australia or like whatever it is that they want to do. Um, yeah, creating something where they get to fulfill on that goal. Um, um, I, I think in, I think yeah, in the corporate world, um, I, I don't know what people. I mean, people's motivations might be, oh, I need to pay my mortgage, or uh, I need to put food on the table. Um, but I think like even all of that aside, um, um, I, I think like Dan Pink, he he wrote a really great book called Drive, and it talks about uh, autonomy, mastery, purpose. Um, and I read that book when I was leading Robbery Girls and we kind of structured how we uh, how we taught our committees about our culture through that book um, where we said, okay, well, we need to give everyone here autonomy where they have the freedom to, um, to have a say in their work and the outcomes that they achieve. Um, mastery, uh, we want people to be developing themselves, to be bettering themselves. Um, yeah, to feel like they're getting better at something that they care about and purpose, like having people feel like they're achieving something or contributing to something or or making something happen that's bigger than themselves. Um, and so we really honed down, we really honed into like all of our teams. This is what we want for everyone. Um, and and uh, yeah, I, I think that's still something that I think about today with, with people like autonomy, mastery, purpose. Um, I think the other thing with volunteers is like it's like, you know, people change, people, um, they achieve their goals and they want to achieve bigger goals. And so with volunteers, you, you have to be cognizant of that mm. as well and say, okay, well, you know, you've got these skills, you've achieved that. Like, you know, what's your, what's the next step for you? How, how else do you want to grow? Um, and so, yeah, I think you really want people to – continue growing if you want them to to stay with you and stay with the organization um so yeah and river gals like we had people who were with the organization for like i don't know like 11 years um just like in different roles and <laughs> doing different things um and yeah i really like what reed hoffman from linkedin said which is he said well you know i do linkedin and it's not the sexiest company um but yeah, just like spot talent when they're really hungry, when they're really, when they're like underappreciated and say, hey, I I can teach you stuff. I can help you on your journey. Join me and recognize that they might only be with you for a few years. But in that time, you've got like this really, really great, brilliant mind and you're developing them. And then at the end of them having achieved what they want with you, like set them free to go off and, and do their own thing and do, have their own journey. So I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm very present to like, you know, everyone has their own journey and everyone has their own path and, um, and you know, I can be part of their journey for a little bit of it. And, um, and then when it's time for them to move on, it's time for them to move on. Um, and I think that, that, um, just, you know, is, is the tale I tell myself and it, it's, uh, um, uh, it, yeah, it means that it's it's less emotional if like if people are like oh hey I have to move on, and then by by be, by having it be less emotional it means I can just focus on things that um you know the next thing and I don't have to waste my energy on getting emotional about things. Mm. It's very I love the nurturing approach to that. 
Uh, it's a beautiful way to to lead. So coming back to Robo Girls, uh, do sure. you want to yeah share a little bit about yeah. what that is and what you've achieved along the way? Sure. So um, when I was in high school, I heard from a lot of people that engineering had a lot of men, and I was like, yeah, well, you know, I've been to engineering camp. I'm in my maths classes. There's a lot of guys there. It's not too bad. Um, I guess in my maths class, there are probably like eight women and like 12 men in engineering camp. There were like 30 girls, 70 guys. It was, it was fine. And like I read all the uh, course syllabuses for university and they would profile like a bunch of women who'd be like, oh, you know, there weren't many girls, but I made it through and all the guys are really nice to me. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'll be fine. It's going to be fine. And you know, I'm I'm young and, you know, these people are a little older than me. So, like, with my generation, you know, it's going to be more women. You know, all those women at engineering camp, they're going to go to, they're going to go and do engineer, engineering at university. And then I show up to university and I remember it was my first week of maths class and I walked in, like, 10 minutes early and sat, like, I don't know, like, 10 rows from the front. And then I waited and they were, like, boys walking in a group of boys single boys just a whole bunch of boys and then like a group of guys and one girl walked in and sat in front of me and then the lecture started and I was like you can't start like not everyone's here yet and then I looked around the room and there were like 200 people in the room and like way at the back there were like 10 other girls there and I was like oh okay I guess this is what they mean when they say there aren't many girls in engineering and um, yeah, my course was mechatronics, engineering, computer science, and it actually took me until the end of my first semester at university before I found all four other girls doing my course out of the fifty people doing it, because they kind of mix all the engineerings together. And it, like that maths class had like chemical engineers and like mechanical, electrical, like all these different types. So it was really hard to find people doing the exact same course as you. And uh, anyway, yeah, so. Um, I, I just, you know, I was first year uni, Melbourne, all the way from Cairns. Like, it was a very big culture shock. Um, in my second year university, um, I, I did a leadership course and um, they were like, do a project in the community. And I wasn't sure what project to do. Um, and my friend said, well, you love robots. You should do a robot project. And so we started like brainstorming different projects. Um, and then I met the head of the electrical engineering department because <clears throat> my friend and I we we started a we started a business uh, called Nudge. Um, it reminds people to take prescription medication uh, when they go to the pharmacy, and we entered that into our university's entrepreneurship competition, and we came first in the undergraduate division. And so the head of the electrical engineering department gave us our. Um, our check, I guess, or our certificate. And um, while meeting him, I said, hey, I'm building a robot with my friends. Could you fund our robot? And he said, well, what I'm interested in is uh, I'm going to a school to teach year six girls robotics to get them interested in engineering. And um, he said, yeah, I want to. And so I, so I thought, oh, that's a really cool idea. Like we could actually make a difference in the number of girls in our class. And I thought, if we're going to one school, why don't we go to all the schools? And <clears throat> so the next couple of weeks, I wrote a plan for that to happen. Um, and that was during, it was like right before exams. And so I did my exams and I got all these people to like sign their names to say that uh, they were going to support this this new organization. Uh, so I got about 24 names. And then after my exams were over, I went and saw the professor and I said hey this is my plan for like doing like for teaching the girls robotics um and he said well how can how can I help and I said well could we borrow the university's robots and could we use the room like the engineering common room in order to build the robots and test them and so the following Tuesday me and three other girls we started designing robotics workshops calling schools and recruiting even more people to join us that was during our university holidays and um um yeah and then like i guess three weeks later we had like 65 people who signed up from my university to help us and i think like a month after that we taught 
uh, we started teaching our first group of girls from Melbourne. And then in the first three months, we taught 124 girls from five schools around Melbourne. And uh, yeah, after that, I went overseas to London to study mechanical engineering at Imperial College London. And um, while I was there, I started up the London chapter of Rebel Girls. Um, and while I was over in London, I noticed that a lot of student organizations weren't just in one place, but they tended to be national. So um, because London was so small and so like the entrepreneurship club from London could meet with the Oxford entrepreneurs or Cambridge entrepreneurs or Bath entrepreneurs. And I thought, oh, it's really cool to like meet with students from other universities who have the same interests as you. And so I decided I'd do that for Rubber Gals in Australia. And um, while I was in the UK, I contacted four other universities around Australia to see if they'd be interested in having their own Rubber Gals chapter. Um, and uh, yeah, after like months of back and forth emails, all four of those universities said yes. And so two months after I returned from the UK, um, we held a three-day boot camp conference at the University of Melbourne and expanded to another four universities around Australia. And uh, yeah, since then, we've just been doing that around the world and um, building community, um, building a culture, um, yeah, training university students and teaching robotics and then having them go out to the schools and teach the robotics. And uh, yeah, impacted over 120,000 girls. I love your gumption and just your ability to go, hey, look, let's just make this happen. Was there any points where you kind of felt that maybe this is not going to happen or this is too hard? How am I going to keep this going? Uh, am I the right person to do this? You know, are we actually teaching the right thing? Did, were there any of those thoughts that come into mind? Or were you just so focused on, hey, this is great, we can do this and, and have a real positive mindset? Yeah, like every day, every day I, I thought those things. Um, like in the beginning, it's like, you know, is this going to amount to anything? What are we doing? Everything's falling apart. Like everything's falling apart all the time. <laughs> um, and then you, like when I went to London, um, I was like, oh, like, is this, like, yeah, I need to, I don't know, it's just a lot of work all the time. I mean, you look back, I think when, when you look back at something in aggregate, you're like, oh, so many results, so many achievements, amazing. But then like when you're there in the weeds, it's just like, well, there's this problem, there's that problem, who's going to fix this, who's going <laughs> to fix that, that person's leaving, this is missing. Like it's just like like when you're really in the weeds of it, it's all just details and and that's, that. yeah, there's always things that go wrong. Um, so it is nice to like take a deep dive out and look at it and be like, oh, you know, all those things amounted to something and, you know, we we achieve something um, by by focusing on all those details. Um, so, yeah, all the time and, like, at every point where we expanded or every point that we did something different, we failed. Like, we, we, <laughs> we, we you know, I went to London and it was really, really hard to start that second chapter um, you know, no one showed up to the first two meetings. Um, and then, um, yeah, coming back to Australia, doing the, the boot camp conference, like that was really hard. We didn't, I didn't know what we were doing. And, um, you know, we kind of just, we, we just did it, you know, we just got through it. And then having like going from one chapter to two chapters to six chapters, it, there were a lot of teething problems of like, well, you know, you you do one thing once, but then how do you replicate that? And it's not just replicating it once, but it's replicating it six times. And so everyone wants to know, but then there's just one of me. So how am I going to, you know, share that knowledge on? And so it was a lot of work that like going from one chapter to six and, and, and creating processes and creating like best practices. And then, and then um, going from there to like, um, we were like, hey, let's like create more programs to to make this even better. And so we, um, I, I started the Ruby Girls Rural and Regional Program where we go out to rural and regional areas to teach girls and boys robotics. And um, again, it was like, you know, how do we do this? How does this make sense? Like what 
fits in with like what we currently have, what fits in with the culture. Um, <clears throat> and then, yeah, we founded the, uh, I founded the um, Rebel Science Challenge to like impact even more kids around Australia um, where they do a science experiment and submit it online to win some prizes. And again, it was like, how do we, how do we do this? How do we make this scalable? How do we make this work? Um, it was just like teething problems at every step. Um, <clears throat> and the teething problems manifest in like, you know, people being unhappy with like, well, why isn't this more organized? Why, why don't you know what I should do? Like, why isn't this better structured? Like, what? and, and then like lack of understanding about why we're doing things the way we're doing. And so it's a lot of communication, a lot of like getting people in alignment, a lot of making people feel heard. Um, and then a lot of like putting in the work to like put those processes in place so that people do want to continue, that people so people feel proud of being part of this, so people feel like they're part of something that's organized. Um, and so I think like, yeah, after we like managed to get many, many people in the organization, I I would think, you know, we have like 300 people in this organization that are working really hard. I need to like pull my weight. I need to make sure we're achieving our goals, make sure we have really inspiring goals so that we are, so that we continue to inspire people to be part of this organization. And then it was like, okay, we have a thousand people now. <laughs> like I need to like keep, keep going because there's all these people that are relying on me to like set that vision, to set that turn, to set that culture, to put things in place so that we have this really sturdy foundation um, or this really sturdy organization that they can like depend on and, and grow with. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I think my team is, is, has always been my biggest inspiration. All right. So a couple of things uh, that I'd like to go into. One is here around, you know, when we think about scalability, we always talk about systems, processes, structures, but you're also talking about this, you know, this balance of messiness, creativity, spontaneity, um, that kind of drive to, to innovate as well. Sometimes I think companies and organize and not-for-profit organizations can be so caught up in those structures, systems, and processes. How, was the purpose behind it? Do you think that was the kind of centerpiece that kept everything together when you were trying to balance this kind of orderly structure with this kind of loose um, sort of spontaneity creative space? Uh, I think definitely that's what pe drew people to the organization, that we we had this purpose. They were like, oh, I want to make friends. I want to do something. I want to be part of something. And we had this purpose. And so people were like, that's a cool purpose. And then I think we were like pretty organized actually compared to like other other opportunities that they had. And so like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'll join this thing that's like organized and then I can achieve some impact while I'm at university while making friends. Um, I mean, honestly, I think that I brought the creativity and the big thinking and the let's charge forward. And then my... COO, he brought the structure and the process <laughs> Honestly, I was like, to the moon. And then like everyone else in my life is like, no, no, you can't do that. They were like, no, you can't, you can't grow a thousand X every year. You can't grow 10,000 X every year. And so, yeah, the way that I like to see it is that like, and there was a lot of people in my life. And so the way I like to see it is I was like this, you know, this line going up. And then my CEO was the one following and coloring the little, all the lines behind me to like <laughs> give us a really strong foundation. Um, but yeah, I think I'm, I've, I've become better at processes and, um, and putting structures in place since then. Um, um, but yeah, I think like I, you know, I needed to be inspired in order to for us to in order to lead the organization and to really drive us forward. And and so. I would think, you know, what what inspires me, what makes sense, and then I'd I'd go and do that. Uh, you're very tenacious, uh, which I love. But coming back to London, you talked about the first two meetings, no one showed up. Now, in my experience, in watching people, when no one shows up the first time, they're up. They're going, "This is failed. This is flawed. Doesn't work." What's happening mentally for you? What's the mindset you're going through when not only no one turns up the first time, but the second time? 
to go, you know what, it's actually worth pursuing and pushing on. Yeah. Well, I cried the first time after about half an hour when I was like, oh, no one's showing up. And then the second time I cried after about 15 minutes and I cried a little less because I was like, I'm used to this now. Um, but for me, it was like, well, I, you know, I, I had, I'd never been to London before. It was my first time going there. Um, and I was like, I have another six months here in London and I have this organization in Australia. And I thought I've got six more months to try and get this off the ground here in London. And that, that was it. It was like, I'm just going to keep trying and otherwise I'm going to go back home and I'm not going to have this organization in London. So I'm just going to keep trying to make this happen. And that's, that's what I did. Sis. So moving on from Robo Girls, and obviously it's still continuing to to con- do its thing and, and continuing to grow, which is amazing. But you've also, um, I, I really love this this Allbot and what it's been able to do to really help people that may be isolated for whatever reason or may not have direct access to something, to be able to give them that access, to give them that exposure, to be feeling part of something. Where did the idea come up from and and what has it allowed people to be able to do around the world? Yeah, sure. So I, you know, I was just really obsessed with robots and I thought, what is the simplest robot that I can build that will make a difference to people? And it was telepresence robots, robots that allowed people to be in multiple places simultaneously so we could, you know, be at our homes as we all were during the pandemic and then have robots in, like, factories or warehouses or in the office and remotely log into our robots to drive around and really get a sense of the place. So rather than you just looking at, you know, the forest behind me, you could, like, come and explore the forest behind me. Um, So it's really immersive and really fun because, it doesn't make you feel like you've left, you're left out of like being somewhere. You actually feel like, oh, I'm there. And if I want to see what's around the corner, I just go around the corner and I see what's there. And so it's a really fun experience. Um, and yeah, it's allowed people to remotely uh, go to school. It's allowed people to remotely go to work while they're sick. Um, well, like kids in hospital or kids with long-term illness to go to school. And so um, it's been really great that it's, we've been able to impact people in all these different ways. Okay. So from those who haven't seen this before, trying to picture in our mind, is it like an R2-D2 walking around? Is it, is it like something out of the Jetsons? Um, what does this robot look like? Um, yeah. And, and how, to, and obviously is it connected by a phone? Is it connected by a laptop? How does it all work? Sure. So the robot has a screen um, that allows for the remote user's face to be displayed so that um, people can humanize the robot and um, see who's controlling it. Um, But then it also allows the user to have an expression to like have their facial expression seen by the people that they're interacting with. Um, And so, yeah, this person's remote face is on a screen. Um, There's a long pole uh which is a linear actuator it allows the robot's face to move up and down um in order to talk to people better or in order to be stored away more easily um the remote user has a forward facing camera to see it in front and a downward facing camera to see the ground um and the the our robot is black and white um it's got an elegant black head um a linear actuator is white and then it's got a uh, sleek white case at the bottom um so when it moves it kind of just looks like it's gliding through the office um and so yeah it's got wheels um and it you up- operating the robot is like playing um mario brothers except if you drive the robot off a cliff then you have to buy a new robot uh. Uh, so it, does it have some autonomous aspects to it like that it will it'll sense things so to prevent it going off the cliff so to speak <laughs> yeah it does it has uh ultrasonic sensors at the bottom so it can see uh if there's any obstacles in the way and um if it approaches like a wall or an obstacle it'll like it'll stop like it'll slow right down so that it can't actually 
um, hit the wall. And so, so it, it's got some self-protection mechanisms in place as well. Okay, so is this something we can purchase off Amazon for Christmas or is this something here a little bit more specialized that um, costs a little bit more money and will um, require certain things to be able to access it? Yeah, so um, our robot, um, it's it's not available on Amazon. Um, yeah, so people usually contact us directly in order to purchase it and, and we work with them to set them up with their robots. Um, but something that you can purchase on Amazon is my book, which is a smart girl book. <laughs> and yeah, it tells my story of setting up RoboGals and the robots that I built and it's got pictures of the robots and um, yeah, it's like RoboGals, my life, um, Albot, the robots I built, my AI company, um, all of it packaged into one book. Um, the age range for this is like eight to 12 is the, um, uh, seems to be the best age group. So if you have like a daughter or a young girl in your life, then I highly recommend this book maybe for um, Christmas or New Year's or or just as like a thinking of you, you're a smart girl and I think you have a bright future kind of present. That was very clever. I love that segue there of connecting that into Christmas and Amazon. Um, so we were going to, I was just about to dive into smart girl books. So obviously, you know, you're talking about for that, um, that kind of young teenager that it's inspiring them to be able to think about STEM and to, I suppose, open up their eyes to a world that you have found so fascinating. Uh, what has been, I suppose, for you, what did you learn writing the book about yourself? What did you learn about yourself? Um, it was really fun to write this book, actually. I think I've, I have I really like picture books, um, but my favorite picture books are like have very vivid images and very vivid characters and colors and so I think like the first few months was just what kind of book do I want to write how much how much text do I want how much detail do I want to get into what do I want to look like do I want to feel like um and um yeah I'm I'm really really proud of this book I, I really love like all the vivid characters all the vivid images like it just like it just really it really pops um and then all the text as well. I spent a lot of time writing that, rewriting that, getting it edited um, so that it would be easy to understand for like girls of girls and boys of any age um, and like saying a lot of details, um, but but also like being, being positive and not being too technical. Um, what I learned about myself, I learned that, um, yeah, it was a lot of work writing this book and I... I I like to do a lot of leadership courses and I set my personal goals. So like if the leadership course is like three months or six months or four months, then I think, okay, well, what, what are my goals in the next three months or four or six months or whatever? And then I try and achieve my goals during my leadership course. And um, so I actually wrote, started writing my book like at the tail end of my leadership course. Um, and I... Um, yeah, I kind of like commandeer my leadership courses to, to go the way of my goals. And uh, um, yeah, so I, I got this book done during that leadership course. It, I feel like it, I feel like, yeah, if you want to like achieve a project, it's really hard to just hold yourself accountable. And it's much easier if you have like 30 people where you're, you're telling them about your project every week and, and every now and then some, someone says something encouraging or they say, oh, hey, I, I want to read your book or oh, I let me edit your book or let me proofread your book you're like oh okay okay I have to like get it to the next stage so that you can proofread it or you can read it um um I don't know what I learned I think I just wanted to like AI. so all my books are actually generated using um um like AI art basically um and so that was a real catalyst of me creating this book actually it was oh, there's all this new technology that's just come out and I want to work on a project using this technology. I don't have time to start a new company. This whole field is moving so quickly. Mm. I want to create something using this technology that will last and it won't just be like moribund. Um, and I thought maybe I'll write a book because then with a book, like it will it will last. Um, and now like, you know, that like, yeah, Stability AI, they, they launched their models in, 
um, August last year. They open source uh, stable diffusion image generator models. And now, like just over a year later, you know, that whole field has moved so quickly. It's moved all over the place. There's like so much more capabilities. And throughout that, you know, my book still exists. So I'm really, really happy to, you know, make something that, that's lasted. Um, and I think that's how I like to think about my companies as well. It's like, I want to create something that, that lasts, that impacts a lot of people, that can scale, that, um, that uh, yeah, lasts for like, um, like 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years mm. um, and beyond, I guess. Um, um, so, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love the legacy approach to life and the things that you do. You know, we're talking about technology and the speed that it's moving. Um, it's like it's fascinating. It's mind-blowing what people are doing. It's encouraging. Obviously, there's the, the dark side to it as well along the way. You, you know, you're very visionary and there's a lot of visionary people out there that are playing in the tech space and that are pro trying to progress it really quickly. But what do you think is required to ensure that there's responsibility around, you know, what's been done and to make sure that we are protecting future generations and, and even current generations, to be honest, um, with regards the dark side, I suppose, to technology and where it's going. Yeah, I think. Um, oh, I think. I mean, this current space it's it's moving it's moving really quickly, um, um, and I think that. <laughs> but I mean, it. Yeah, there's just like so much happening, like. Um, Obviously, there's like you know ChatGPT with OpenAI, but then there's like other open source um, companies that are coming out with like models that are like nearly at that level and and giving it to everyone. Um, so yeah, I think there's there's just so many changes. There are a lot of people thinking about like AI safety and ethics. Um, I, I think, yeah, in the past with like other technologies, we've had more time to think about all those things um, because it hasn't moved as quickly as AI seems to. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of discussions, a lot of thoughts that, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of things that, that we still need to like figure out and understand about the space. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful that like with humanity, we, we decide on things that are good for, for us and humankind and, um, and fairness and what's good for us and what's good for future generations. Yeah. As a human race, I think we've been very good at that and been able to adapt. This is obviously challenging us to adapt a bit quicker at the moment. Um, I kind of find it fascinating because AI has been around for 60 plus years and, and we still don't really have, I suppose, a, a structure in a way. Um, maybe because they're so creative, <laughs> a, a structure in a way in regards to kind of a safety in this space. And, you know, we do have a big responsibility to to make sure that it's used in an effective manner. And there's always going to be people that are going to push the boundaries. You know, when you think about um, people that used to rob banks, now they do it online and they, in a different way than actually physically going into a bank to hold them up with, um, you know, with a weapon or something like that. Now it's done online in a different way and we just have to th think differently and be careful, cautious in different ways as human race, um, which is good. Are, what, what role are you playing in this? Like, are you playing a role in, in sort of safe technology or um, AI safety or are you kind of leaving that to other people and you're just focused on creating what is remarkable things that help humanity in regards to technology? Well, I, yeah, I have a lot of friends who work in that space, like AI safety, and I have a lot of friends who work in the space of like creating the technology and thinking about it and and like really like searching for new frontiers um, in creating this new technology. Um, and I I have my own projects that I'm working on. I have um, I have my robotics company. I have um, other projects. Um, and I think from being like from spending so much time in uh, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, uh, it's made me realize that um, yeah, there's 
there's remarkable people doing remarkable things all over the world and um and if you want to like achieve really amazing impact you have to stick to your lane and um do what you know to do and move your move whatever you're doing forward um and so that, that's what I'm doing I, I'm working on I'm working on some other projects that I think are really uh impactful and and world-changing in other ways um yeah I think it's a really good mindset I think sometimes everyone wants to solve every problem possible and and try and plan each other but I really like that you know stay in your lane or plan your lane a little bit is it's so important it makes it a lot easier to make decisions um make choices when you're kind of focused in an area rather than trying to solve everything and the world has to offer uh which is yeah it's like um i think uh yeah it's like staying in your lane but also like controlling what you can control or you know taking responsibility for the things that you can take responsibility for um i mean i think like in in like sf san francisco the bay area like you definitely notice trends so sometimes it's like oh hey ai and then then it's like hey crypto and like um nfts um and then like ai and so so you've got all these things that like you know that are really shiny and, and people chasing the shiny things um but yeah I, i'm you know the projects that i'm working on i i'm really passionate about and i really believe in and i think they're going to be really important for decades and decades to come um so yeah, that, that's what I that's what I'm focused on right now. But I mean, I I I have um yeah I have worked on projects before in the AI space, and it it is something that I could do again in the future. I mean, I I wrote my book, but I mean, obviously it's a little different. Um, but yeah, I I I would be open to doing something else uh in the space. Um, but yeah, right now I'm very focused on just yeah the projects I'm working on and launching them and getting them out to the world and and scaling them and having them have a huge impact on the world yeah we've we've you know talking about trends obviously um this year has been the the year of ai last year was the year of the metaverse the year before was probably around crypto and and maybe in those areas what do you you know with your finger on the pulse there in this uh, the bay area what do you see as potentially going to be the big trend in 2024 um, well, I, I think, I think it will still be the AI. I don't know. I, I hang out with a lot of people who, who work in that space. <laughs> so I am, I am like surrounded by it all the time. Um, I mean, even during the crypto, during like the metaverse craze or the crypto craze, like my friend group was, was all still pretty focused on AI. So, um, I mean, there, there were, yeah, um, well, I mean, I think the thing about like AI in the past years is just been such a like eating frenzy. There's like been so many people who've like flopped to it and um who are trying to like launch projects in it and there's just there's just a lot of stuff going on. Um so yeah, I think it'll be interesting to to see how how it all starts to land and um I mean it's still it's still crazy, like all the things, all the announcements that are made every day and uh, the different projects people are working on um um so yeah i, I think like a ai and, and and its potential and the excitement around it will continue hmm. when we think about ai on and robotics as well what do you think is the most important need in this world that those two both robotics and ai can solve that is probably most important for humanity right now. Um. Oh. Um. Sorry, that was so a many, big question, wasn't it? Yeah. It was well, a, well, there's so many problems, right? There's so many problems in the world, and I think that as a technologist, sometimes you can say, "Oh, hey, I have these tools. I have robotics, and I have AI." How, you know what's my problem that I can solve with these and and I think um and I I mean there's so many things that robots could help us with like you know in our daily lives um I mean there's so many like systems out there that could be like automated and process better using robotics but um um yeah it is a huge like time and monetary investment to, to set all those up 
Um, and so it's like, you know, what is the scale of the problem? Like how, um, you know, what, what time scale do we, do we need this problem solved and how many people is going to serve if we, if we solve this problem? Um, um, yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot of things to consider with robotics. Um, you know, I think, I think, I mean, obviously like having a humanoid robot that can help you in, in your everyday life and, and look after the elderly and, um, look after people with disabilities um is 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 a great problem to solve and and that's something that i um have worked on solving um with my jivaru robot which is a eight degree freedom robotic arm on a movable platform um so we have omni wheels at the base uh, three omni wheels that allow for the robot to turn on its spot um to move directly forward move directly backwards and move sideways as well like a crab um and then moving up the robot we have um, to custom built linear actuators, um, that help, um, pivot the arm's motion. So either it can have the entire arm move up and down, um, parallel to the ground, or it could also yeah, pivot the, the entire arm at, at various angles. Um, and then along the, um, the final limb of the arm, we have, um, a bunch of motors, which, uh, enable the arm to move around in all different directions. Um, so the arm can like, manipulate doors um uh yeah pour drinks um it do all 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 sorts of different tasks um and so i get the 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 use case of that robot arm is someone with a disability right now if they want something in the middle of the night um they could press a button and call someone um and someone a carrier remotely would need to uh get in their car drive all the way to that person with disability help them with what they need, maybe like get them a drink. Um, so it, take, it might take like half an hour, 40 minutes for that person to like arrive at that person with disabilities house, um, maybe like 10 minutes to get them the drink and then they drive home again, 30, 40 minutes. And so that whole interaction takes like an hour and a half. Um, but it means the person with a disability needs to wait 40 minutes for their drink. Uh, it means the carer needs to spend 80 minutes driving and only like 10 minutes like doing something that um, – that helps with that helps a person with a disability. Um, whereas with my robot arm, what could happen is um, the person with disability could press a button, um, the carer could remotely log into the robot, drive it around, get the glass of water, um, and then after they've done that, they can just log out of that robot and then help the next person. And so it means that the carer can do more high value tasks with their time and not spend as much time traveling. And the person with disability gets what they need faster. So, um, yeah, you could, with robotics, like build more and more agile, more and more complex, more and more expensive robots to achieve that task. Um, um, I mean, right now, like with my robots, they're like remotely controlled. Um, so it's the brains of the human that are powering these robots to do various tasks. Um, but with AI, uh, these robots could figure it out themselves, like how to how to get the water, how to how to pour the water. Um, but I mean, that's that's still a ways away. Um, getting AI to uh, do all those tasks, um, yeah. One of I mean, one of the reasons that AI has been able to move that quickly um, in the tech space and in the image space is because there's so much training data out there on the internet. Yeah. Uh, the blog posts, with all the news articles, uh, images that people have supplied. Um, it means that you can feed all that data um, to your algorithm and and and, and train it to um, recognize different objects and recognize patterns in text. Um, with robotics, um, we don't have robots out there. Um, even though we don't even have, you know, robots that are teleoperated out there to do tasks with people in their everyday lives right now. So we don't have that training data. Um, and then even once you have that training data, like, is it standardized? Well, I mean, if you're using different robot arms and they have different motors in different places and they're designed differently, they have different form factors, then you need to, like, that training data isn't the same for every robot. Um and so it just means that there's a lot less training data for your algorithms to control robots to be trained on. Um, 
And so we're, we're not there yet. <laughs> uh, I, I look forward to when you can create the robot in those settings that knows when, intuitively knows when to give the, the person a hug, when it knows when to maybe just stroke their hair or, or to give them that, that hormone uh, oxytocin boost that they need in that moment. Uh, and I'm and I'm sure it won't be too far away before it can be creative enough to start to have that emotional connection with people as well. We all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Um. Ooh, um, um, I think, okay, well, the first thing that kind of pops to mind is I went on holiday like a month ago. And I haven't been on a holiday. It was it was three weeks and I went to Japan. And I haven't been on a holiday since um since like twenty thirteen. And um I mean I've been I've traveled and I've been on trips, but I'm always working. And so this holiday I didn't have any meetings. Um whereas like in the past I'd go on a holiday and I'd, I'd have meetings still. Um I mean, I still messaged people and emailed people, but I didn't. I didn't have any meetings. Um, so yeah, probably that. That's big. It's yeah, big. it was great. I had a I had a really good time. It was really nice to like, um, just yeah, be in another country and and you know experience that and kind of just being committed to being a tourist every day was really fun. Beautiful, beautiful. You should take more time to do that in the future. Yeah. What is the one question that you would love to solve? Oh my gosh. Um, what is the one question I'd love to solve? Well, I. Well, honestly, it's, it's probably what I've just been talking about the past ten minutes, which is, which is like creating an autonomous robot that has like intelligent capabilities to be able to figure things out for themselves and help humans. Oh, it's beautiful. I'd love to solve that. <laughs> That's a great question to solve. Uh, for you, what is an inspiring great leader and who is a great example of this for you? Oh my gosh. Um. Well, I've been thinking a lot recently about like never meet your heroes because you meet them and they're like a normal human being and then you're disappointed. But when I was growing up, I I read a lot about like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak <clears throat> who co-founded Apple. Um, and I think it definitely like really inspired me growing up because it's a huge, you know, hardware company. They're a technology but company, but they're also a hardware company. And, um, I met Steve Wozniak in 2012 and I had breakfast with him. It was just me, him, and my CEO, just the three of us having breakfast uh, in Melbourne. And he was just so lovely. He was just such a darling and so delightful. And he was what I expected him to be like from everything that I read about him. And I think I've just been reflecting on that because people say, never meet your heroes. And I did. And he was amazing. Mm. And I think that helped me not, you know, it helped me, you know, stay, stay excited about people and stay curious and, and stay happy. It didn't jade me in any way. Um, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. What was your question no, again? That's, no, that's good. Oh, yeah. No, that's oh, yeah. a, that's okay. all we need. That's all okay. we need. <laughs> this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm sure people out there would love to learn more about what you do. So what is the best way for people to connect with you? Um, you can 
um, connect with me on LinkedIn. I post there. Um, I I lurk on Twitter, um, so you can follow me there. Um, and I, I I intend to post more on Facebook, so you can also follow me there or Instagram. Um, but yeah, link, LinkedIn is quite fun. So yeah, oh, all of those. I yeah. Anyway, if if you, if you follow me on any of them, you'll see like updates about my book and various interviews and like newspaper articles that I've done about this book. Um, yeah, book is a lot of fun. Highly recommend that you uh, purchase it and read it. It's available on Amazon. Um, and yeah, I think in particular, it's really good for like young girls and young boys, um, young girls, so they can see what they can do when they're older and they can see that they don't, that they can just do whatever they want to do. Um, um, and that's especially good if they want to do something that helps a lot of people. Um, and young boys should read it so that they can also see that girls are capable of doing anything as well. It might be a great gift for my liver month baby girl for, for Christmas. Um, I'm sure we can read it to her and she can absorb everything through the pictures as well. Marita, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I have uh, really admired the humility in you, the vision in you the curiosity that you bring um, to really solving world's real problems. You know, a lot of people out there are solving problems, but many don't really solve real human problems that we really need in this world. And you have this great tenacity and drive in you to continue to figure out ways all the time. And you're very focused, which I think is great. A great lesson for everyone listening to this podcast and watching is to stay in your lane and be, and to really go deep in that lane rather than trying to scatter yourself over too many things. And I think when we see really successful people in the world, they make a choice, they make a decision to focus on something and to, and to make it truly remarkable by going as deep as they possibly can and to put their heart and soul into it. So thank you for everything that you do. Uh, for those out there, once again, her book is, uh, available smart girl books uh, you can see it if you're watching this as well uh it's a fantastic book and i'm picturing is that you in the middle there on the front cover that's me that was your university <laughs> yeah that's me at university and all the all the guys all the guys it's a beautiful book so thank you very much i i love what you do and looking forward to continuing to connect with you in the future and continuing the conversation thank yeah, you very much it. so much fun to talk to you craig really enjoyed it it's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag Inspiring Great Leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Inspiring Great Leaders podcast where the ordinary don't belong.